0: to you I'll tell how the good old union has come in here to dwell. A battle in the heart of Alabama
1: You're listening to Alabama's only union talk radio show, The Valley Labor
0: Report, with Adam Keller and Jacob Morrison.
1: Folks, welcome back. You're still listening to The Valley Labor Report. We are now in overtime, the second half of The Valley Labor Report, which is Alabama's only union talk radio show. Uh, and like I've said, we've got some good stuff for you today. Uh, Going to be talking some about the Tennessee Three, of course. Feel free to share your thoughts if you want to join the show. Eight four four eight nine nine TVLR. That is eight four four eight nine nine eight eight five seven. You can also send us a text if you don't want to. Um, if you don't want to call in. Um, and uh, got another good uh, and, and Free American and, and he, um, Adam mentioned this in Shop Talk on Thursday but Free American was the one that mentioned powderly um, as, a, as a topic uh, to, um, to do for a Shop Talk for a labor history episode and, and he had another suggestion here in the, in the chat saying Ford City over near Florence would be interesting. I was always told Ford planned to build a huge plant slash city in the 40s but don't know why it never happened. Uh, so that sounds that sounds interesting. Definitely want to add that to the list. And I know that one of the things that we want to do a deep dive on is the Dunlop strike in Huntsville in the '90s. My understanding is that that strike is actually why um, al, uh, is why Huntsville, Alabama has a SWAT team. <laughs> they didn't have <laughs> they didn't have a SWAT team before the strike. Um, so that's uh you know that's pretty funny. I think a pretty interesting history. Um, yeah, so let's talk about this this thing that's happening a little, little bit north of where we are at. And it was obviously kicked off by um, a shooting in Nashville at a Covenant school. Uh, it left six dead, three children, three staff. Just a really, really horrible, horrible thing uh, to have happened. And, um, you know, unfortunately it happens all too much. And that reignited calls for gun control, uh, particularly in Tennessee. Um, and you know, look, I've, I've not been shy on this program about where I, uh, where I fall on gun control to the extent that I think about it. Uh, you know, it's, it's just, it's not, uh, immediately where I go. Um, I am generally, I would generally consider myself pro-gun. Um, I would generally consider myself somebody in favor of working people, having arms. Um, but, you know, uh, that is where a lot of folks go. A lot of folks do go to gun control as a solution. Um, and, you know, it's their right. And, and it's, it's not as if it's without merit. Um, it's not as if it, it comes from out of nowhere. Right. I mean, we are just the facts are that uh, the United States of America is the only place where uh, something like a school shooting or school shootings themselves happen on a fairly regular basis. Uh, It it just simply doesn't happen in other countries, uh, nor does the level of general gun violence and gun death. Uh, there are some 30,000 people every year, is my understanding, is, killed with guns. Um, two-thirds of those are suicides. And, you know, so how many of those could be prevented? How many of those suicides could be prevented if uh, we had stricter laws about who could own guns? Um, you know, probably a lot. And, and also the fact is that most people who attempt to commit suicide, If they fail, they don't try it again. Of course, you know, people who attempt suicide have a higher rate of attempting suicide again than somebody who's never attempted suicide just because, you know, they've demonstrated that propensity to have those thoughts. And so, you know, it's likely that they'll have those thoughts again, but they're still, most of them don't, right? And so when you commit, when you try to commit suicide with a gun, that is effective in something like 95% of cases. If you try to commit suicide with a gun, you almost always succeed. And so, you know, if they didn't have the guns, it would be more difficult for them to succeed because, you know, uh, attempted suicides with by, you know, and obviously, you know, I don't trigger warning, trigger warning, you know, discussion of suicides and 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 homicides and all this type of stuff. But um, the, uh, you know. People who attempt suicide by hanging or cutting or medication, they're just not as successful. I think it's only something like 20, 30 percent of people who attempt those by by those means are successful. And so, you know, the fact is that that uh, there would be fewer people die if we had fewer guns in this country. Um, I'm just totally I'm just not totally sure that. The culture of this country uh, would allow for something like that to happen. but, I, you know, I think that these school shootings are, are definitely something that, that agitates people towards a different type of culture, maybe towards a culture that is less centered around guns. Um, and, and it's not only suicides, but also uh, murders and homicides and, and, and stuff like that are uh, less common uh, because, again, in the same way that, that suicides are more effective if you do it with a gun, uh, attacks are more effective if if they happen with a gun, right? So, you know, it's not like it's not like they come out of nowhere and it's like not like they have no merit. It's just not typically where I go. But but it's it I I will support, you know, and this is something that people say. I disagree with what you say, but I'll defend to the death your right to say it. And I absolutely will defend the right of people to um protest and agitate for gun control. And um And, 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 you know, the, uh, uh, and that's what folks in Tennessee were doing. Uh, That's what folks in Nashville were doing is protesting for gun control, uh, for, for, uh, the solution that they have, they have clung to, to try to rid this country of, of the purge of gun violence. And, uh, Adding to uh, and three Tennessee legislators joined those protests, and in joining those protests, they stood on the House floor, and uh, they spoke out of order and And they admitted that that was a violation of the House rules, but they felt like it was an important enough issue that they were willing to do that. And for that huge violation of protesting out of order, which is important to remember, entailed no property damage nobody was harmed. All that this did was, you know, here we go. I'm I'm just stating facts again. Violating some House norms and defending the sensibilities of the Tennessee Republicans. Right? That's just a fact. I mean, it's not like they held up uh, you know, they, they, they didn't hold up hearings for even an entire day. I mean, the thing, the, the session got started about an hour later, you know, they didn't hold it up for an entire week. They didn't, you know, this was a limited thing that was, and so, you know, maybe there were, maybe there were, was, uh, it wouldn't have been unreasonable for the Republicans to have censured them. I probably wouldn't have, wouldn't have done that, but, you know, Because you don't have to punish every single violation of every single rule, right? And, of course, we don't do that. And we know that they don't do that. The Tennessee Republicans don't do that. Because we can look at some of the people that are still representatives in the Tennessee legislature. Let's look at this. A friend of the show, Apodlatcha, the Apodlatcha podcast, they have this graphic up. Showing some, just some of the Republicans that are still in the, uh, uh, still in the legislature after violations of of some rules. One of the, and there's one person that is now in leadership who pissed on somebody else's chair in the chamber. Oh, right. right. And All right. he's in leadership. He wasn't even censured, much less expelled, much less ostracized. He's in leadership now of the Republican Party. Another one, Republican David Byrd, was credibly accused of sexually abusing three girls while he was their basketball coach. Even recorded, this person is even recorded apologizing to one of the accusers. But leadership killed the expulsion resolution. Representative Joey Hensley His medical license was put on probation for ethics violations after he prescribed opioids to his family and a romantic partner who was a former employee. That's just, there's a lot of stuff to unpack there. Doctors are mostly. (laughs) Levels. Yeah, levels to that one. Doctors are mostly forbidden from prescribing to family members or romantic partners because of the risk of bias and abuse. Representative Kelsey pleaded guilty. Pleaded guilty. To violating two federal campaign finance laws in connection with his failed 2016 congressional campaign. Kelsey's law license was suspended by the Tennessee Supreme Court, but no action was taken by the Tennessee legislature. And so, of course, we can see here that look, they're not going out there and rigorously enforcing this code of ethics or anything like that among the population of representatives. And so, but these people, these three Tennessee legislatures, they violated a rule, sure. But we all violate rules. I mean, how many of us in the audience have sped? Right? How uh, that's a that's a violation. That's not only a violation of a rule, right? These these house rules aren't law. It's not like these house rules are law. These are these are house rules. There's things to govern the house, right? But it's not law. But we when we speed, we are actual lawbreakers. We are breaking the law. Wow. But Nobody thinks that we should be put in jail. You know, obviously we shouldn't be put in jail. These people aren't being put in jail. But we shouldn't be fired from our jobs. Nobody thinks that. Nobody thinks that uh, one of the um, one of the, the things uh, that ought to happen to you when you speed is that you should be fired. Nobody thinks that. It's a silly thing to think. It's absolutely a silly thing to think. And so, uh, but you know, the Republicans felt that this was an important enough issue that they were <laughs> willing to, to expel expel these people for protesting out of order, no property damage, no harm to person, just for offending the sensibilities of these folks. I mean just a just a really, really, really gross situation. and of course, you know, this is uh, but so resolution, uh, expulsion resolutions were filed against all three of them only two of them went through the third one was not expelled and the two who were expelled were young black men and the third who wasn't was a white woman uh that totally shocked that i, I was like there's no way and then i saw and it and it was it yeah way it it did in fact happen um and i think you know the the obvious thing that folks go to for that is is there was some there was some racism there and some conscious or unconscious bias against the two black members that was not there against the white member. Um, but I've listened to some interviews with some of the people who voted to expel the two black men, but not the white woman. And they've got these excuses for why it's not about race. And I frankly don't really buy it. One of the excuses, I kid you not, one of the excuses I kid you not was that uh, the woman had a lawyer while the other two represented themselves. That was actually in this, it was, uh, uh, I forget the name. I forget the name of the person. I think it was Brad something Foley. I can't remember. But one of the people said that was literally their first reason. He was on a conservative radio station and the, and the radio guy was like, so, you know, why did you do this? And the first thing out of his mouth was, well, you know, she had a lawyer and they represented themselves. Who gives a crap? that doesn't matter even even a small tiny little bit
0: jeez <laughs> man
1: it's just just so wild and then you know he said well well there were maybe some factual inaccuracies in the resolution you know she didn't have the bullhorn but and then the and then the radio host was like yeah but did she break the rules the same as those people and he said yeah but she didn't break them as much as the other two i mean it was just so silly just so so silly and 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 of course the tennessee republicans are acting uh just appalled that you would suggest that that race had anything to do with this um
0: and you know if the shoe fits wear it right? i mean that's appalled just, while while they're kicking out elected officials mm-hmm. representing thousands of constituents right they're, and if, they're upset for being called something
1: not not only are they upset they got their feelings hurt they're so upset now that the woman who was not expelled uh one of the people one of the house republicans is planning to bring her up on ethics charges for calling him racist Uh oh like as if you know if you were if you had any sense about you at all even a little bit you would, after this whole episode, you would just not talk about it anymore.
0: Yeah, they just, they literally didn't have to say anything, honestly. <laughs> See, <laughs> they, I mean, honestly. That's a, they seem to always forget. <laughs> it's like, you just don't have to say anything. Right. You don't have to defend.
1: <laughs> you can just, you can just stop. You can just be quiet. That, that is an option. Uh, but, but he didn't do that. He said, no, I'm going to bring her up on ethics charges. Um, just, uh, just wild, totally, totally un. Uh, uh,
0: uh. Well, I, I hear they're for. raising money to, and you know, they're try raising
1: and... money off of it. Like they're like, look at us, we expelled these people. Uh, give us money, we're so cool. And of course, of course, this is an a- a- this is an attack on democracy. Uh, and I I saw um Alabama conservative opinion haver cameron smith mocking the idea that this is an attack on democracy uh, because Mm. all the rules were followed oh well there's a process in the constitution (laughs) for expelling members of the state house uh there is and they followed all the rules there wasn't a violation of the constitution and as if just as if democracy was only following rules as if there is not Mm. a democratic spirit that can be violated even when no rules are explicitly violated well they followed the
0: rules for two out of three of them right right i mean it's a majority well yeah this kind of worries me just being in a state with like a uh, super majority because like once tennessee does it like well you know if any of those alabama representatives that honestly have very little power to to put forth a bill that even has to get heard. Uh, if they do anything that's going to upset them, they they'll just kick them right. out of office. Right. Yeah.
1: It, it it's definitely it is very worrying because it, it it's an attack on democracy. It's an attack on the people that voted, uh, that that voted for them. And not only and now not only are have they expelled these people, not only are they bringing up going to be bringing up this woman on ethics charges for having the gall to hurt their feelings. They are now threatening because these two people were uh, popular in their districts, both the uh, Nashville City Council and the uh, Shelby County uh, Commission or whatever. you know so so the way that it, it works is when they're expelled, then the local bodies have to send a replacement. And so the local bodies this in in, in the case of Justin Jones. Uh, one of the expelled members being Nashville, and in the case of Justin Pearson being, I believe, the Shelby County Commission, a majority of both of those bodies have said, we intend to send them back. We're just going to send them right back. That's that's who we're going to have to replace. And then there's going to be a special election that they'll obviously run in. Um, and so both of these bodies have expressed publicly, a majority of them, that, that we're going to send these people back. And uh, the legislature now, there is talk from some of these Republicans about um, withholding funding from Memphis, where the uh, where Justin Pearson is from, if they send him back. And so now, not only are they, I think, I think credibly, you know, being racist. I think, <laughs> I, I think that that's it's just not really credible to deny that. It seems to me.
0: <clears throat> well, I thought but, you, that maybe they were going to expel. Uh, the female as well to kind of just be (laughs) like, well, you know, we goofed up with that. But it wasn't even that.
1: And so (laughs) and so (laughs) now they are acting like a mafia and uh, openly making plans to withhold millions of dollars from Citizens of the state of Tennessee, because the people in Nashville, the, the capital of Tennessee, the people in Nashville don't like who these other folks are sending to represent them. I mean, if that's not mob rule, if that's not mafia-esque, I don't know what is. It's, uh, they're, they're acting like an organized crime syndicate. It's just, it's just disgusting. It's absolutely disgusting what they're doing up there.
0: Well, it shows you a lot about how they, I don't think a lot of them have had power challenged, haven't had mm-hmm. their power challenged. Right. Like, I guess when you uh, grow up in an uh, environment where most people disagree with your views or something, you're very used to being the minority or, or having what you say challenged. But, man, there's certain yeah. people in authority that they've never, they, they are very offended by just right. the idea of uh, dissent.
1: I'm proud to be part of uh, of a union that has spoken out against this. Uh, my national president, Reverend Everett Kelly from Alabama, national president of the American Federation of Government Employees, he said on Twitter, the partisan expulsion of two black representatives, Justin Jones and Justin Pearson, for protesting on the floor of the Tennessee House, um, the, uh, the, for protesting the lack of action following the deadly shooting at the Covenant School in Nashville, Uh, is inexcusable and a dangerous precedent. In a clear racial double standard, the partisan majority delivered a disparate, harsher treatment to the two black representatives than the white representative who participated in the same protest. Although let's be clear, no lawmaker of any race should be punished for standing up for their principles. When majorities like those in the Tennessee House become tyrannical, using their power to stifle free expression, punish those who express unpopular opinions, and trample on the rights of the minority, these same lawmakers threaten our democracy. As we condemn these actions in the strongest possible terms, our hearts remain with the Nashville community still reeling from the recent tragedy. Um, Everett Kelly isn't the only uh, union official who's spoken out against this. The American uh, Federation of Labor, uh, AFL-CIO, said on their Twitter account, the expulsion of representatives Justin Jones and Justin Pearson from the Tennessee House of Representatives was an affront to our democracy, to our American values, and a disturbing reminder of an all-too-familiar brand of oppression on display in our nation since Reconstruction. The move to expel these duly elected and sworn representatives two black men by a majority white right-wing legislature for taking part in the grand tradition of nonviolent civil disobedience was an act with severe implications motivated by systemic racism. If we cannot... Uh, It cannot be overlooked that in the state where Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated, there was in the legislature a vicious attempt to silence voices speaking on behalf of the constituents who elected them. The people of Tennessee deserve better. We stand firmly with Representatives Jones and Pearson and praise their courage in the face of outrageous opposition and unjust retaliation. Representatives Jones and Pearson are the very embodiment of Dr. Keene's principles that peaceful protest is not a departure from democracy, but absolutely essential to it. While Tennessee House Speaker Sexton and the legislators who joined him showed themselves to be its shameful opponents. Great statements from Reverend Kelly and the a and AFGE and the American Federation of Labor. Uh, very good stuff there. Proud to be a part of those organizations in times like this. Um, some better news though. Uh, we had a couple weeks ago a settlement reached in a uh uh in a Chipotle uh uh in an instance of Chipotle closing a store in Augusta, Maine, where workers had filed for a union election. Back in July, Chipotle closed that store. And last week, um, they uh, the workers who um, filed for a, a union election at that store, last week, those workers announced that Chipotle must pay nearly a quarter million dollar settlement to the crew that was employed at the Augusta store. So that's going to be A $10,000 check for each of the 24 employees um, in response to the uh, closing of that store for union activity. So that is really, really great news. And more action like this from the NLRB is very important to show working people that our rights are going to be protected. Our rights to form a union is going to be protected. Because for far too long, uh, that simply hasn't been the case. You know, we have seen actually stores close without any retaliation from the National Labor Relations Board. And so uh, hopefully this is the beginning of a new trend where the law is actually enforced. (laughs) Uh, But that's not all. Chipotle is going to have to post a notice in 40 stores across the New England region admitting it broke the law and committing to not illegally union-busting moving forward. Also, former Augusta employees will get preferential hiring with the same terms of employment if they reapply at one of the new locations. So, that's great news. Uh, Hope they take that $10,000 check, have a nice little vacation, and then... uh, Get right back to work organizing another Chipotle. So uh really excited for them on that. Um I had a uh uh and this isn't super this isn't necessarily union related, but it's something that I wanted to talk about because it is it is related to uh uh to some of my past activities. And we've been sitting on it for a while for for maybe a slower news day. But, um, you know, I've said before on the show and I've I've not been, you know, like a a like secret about it. But I used to be part of the college Democrats when I was in college. And um, while I was in college, uh, we had a Democratic senator from the state of Alabama, Doug Jones. And during um, during his tenure. Back in 2018, in March of 2018, the Trump administration was pushing through a bill to uh, deregulate the banks to pull back on some of the banking regulations that were put forward after the financial crash uh, financial crisis of 2008. And it was uh, you know passed uh, bipartisanly by Republicans and Democrats including our very own Senator Doug Jones. And he was signaling before they voted to do that that he was going to vote for it. And so as part of the College of Democrats, I organized an open letter with several other Democratic organizations, community groups, stuff like that, about um, urging him not to do that. And, and so with the Silicon Valley uh, bank collapse and with <clears throat> the subsequent bailout of that bank, I mean, we've been proven right. Uh, Myself and the people who signed on to that open letter were absolutely proven right that he did the wrong thing as representative, as a senator from the state of Alabama, when he voted with the Republicans to deregulate the bank. And so, you know, from this open letter... We said that the bill loosens scrutiny on banks under 250 billion dollars in assets. The threshold's currently 50 billion dollars. That's what the, the bill that's what that deregulate uh, deregulation bill did. Um, it took the threshold from 50 billion to 250 billion. The proposed increase of the threshold releases 25 of the world's 38 largest banks from this enhanced scrutiny under Dodd Frank. I mean, just imagine that. Of the 38 largest banks in the world, 25 of them were released from increased scrutiny under this bill in 2018. That is just absolutely insane. And this bill, this deregulation bill, it was touted as, oh, we're protecting the community banks, just the small mom and pop community banks. We want, (laughs) and, and, you know, there's
0: billion-dollar banks. Right. <laughs>
1: uh, and so we contend in this article that uh, if a bank is one of the top 38 banks in the world, it's not a small community bank, definitionally. <laughs> right. And And just to illustrate the point even further, that definition of community bank is so distorted that it included American Express. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Technically a community of sorts, but... <laughs> <laughs> Not the community for sure. That
1: is just <laughs> oh, isn't that brutal. wild. Isn't that wild? And and then so so we we took we 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 made note of that in the con- contemporary analysis, but we also took took a look back at history and show and, and relay and and we recalled how countrywide financial, one of America's largest subprime mortgage lenders at the time of the 2008 mortgage crisis only only had assets totaling around 210 billion before it failed the mm. government spent our taxpayer dollars to bail out the very banks whose risky, unregulated practices caused the crisis, and we should not embark on a path that could potentially cause the great, uh, the next Great Recession, and as a consequence, a next big bank bailout with our taxpayer dollars. Well, uh, we haven't gone into a recession yet, thankfully, knock on wood, uh, but we have used taxpayer dollars for another bank bailout. And so, you know just absolutely absolutely wild wild so yeah that was uh just just wanted to take that time to say i told you so uh (laughs) and and to a bit of a victory lap there um and it is amazing that you know and, and and Doug Jones it, it, it's not like we were the only group that was going out there saying that you know oh this is this is like probably not a super great thing that you're doing here uh Mr. Doug Jones uh and he responded saying that you know the people who were criticizing him they just didn't really understand anything uh that they were just activists and they didn't know any better and he knew better and that this bill is going to be good and there's not going to be anything bad happen from it and um you know, What's a
0: few billion dollars yeah. between friends?
1: I mean, seriously, just the idea. Two hundred
0: billion, I guess.
1: I mean, it, it's the same. It is the same level of of absurdity as the you know the folks that go around talking about how um, the estate tax it hurts small family farms. <laughs> you know, like uh, oh yeah, uh, assets over. Twelve million dollars are taxed when they're passed on to your uh, uh, to your inheritors, and so that's going to destroy the small family business. Really. The
0: American dream is just getting yeah mowed over. Yeah, what
1: what is Brutal. American co- what is American co- uh, America come to? I can't pass on a hundred million dollars tax free. Yeah, to I my can't hairs. get my
0: twelve million dollar farm. I don't think I'm quite got that dream going on yet.
1: Yeah, just wild, and so. In a similar vein, the definition of community banks under this bill uh, was extended to include 25 of the 38 largest banks in the world, including American Express. Just absolutely wild stuff. And uh, Democratic Senator Doug Jones supported it. And at the time, I opposed it. And I got that open letter uh, published in... um in al.com, uh, the Madison County Democrats, their executive committee actually signed on to it as well. Um, as well as the fifth congressional district democratic committee, um, high school Democrats of Alabama, college Democrats, university, of Alabama, Huntsville, college Democrats in Alabama, A and M. So, you know, there was a few of us there. Um, but he thought we were just silly. So.
0: Well, I think he was trying to, you know, go for that moderate vote that supposedly exists somewhere
1: yeah well uh i wonder how many votes <laughs> how i wonder it... how many trump votes he got yeah i know in... <laughs> that's why i was like i don't know why but that's in what he 2018, was yeah like who are the voters that were like oh yeah yeah you know what i was gonna vote for
0: Tommy <laughs> tuberville yeah but doug jones
1: voted to deregulate the, the banks so now i'm gonna vote for doug jones
0: <laughs> like... strong independent wave over here
1: yeah 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 Uh, Another thing about Doug Jones, one of his staffers after he was um, voted out of office is now working for the business council of Alabama, uh, the council of bosses. So yeah, love, love that (laughs) for her. Absolutely love that for her. Uh, Oh man. Yeah. I don't know, man. I don't know. I was at the, um, I was at the roadkill the other day. Uh, It was a, like a, or barbecue that the Alabama AFL-CIO puts on every year. And there were, like, politicians. And there was a BCA lobbyist there, too, a business council lobbyist. And I was just like, oh, geez, there were Republicans there and and some Democrats. And it was just like, oh, man, you know, like, I, ugh. I know, I guess it's probably important to cultivate relationships with some of these politicians. Mm-hmm. But, like, man, it was... I was like, there were some real weird characters running around. Um, but I did get some good alcohol, so.
0: Hey, you need it to deal with the, <laughs> yeah, right, right. the BCAs. Good alcohol and good
1: food. Good alcohol and good food. Uh, it was very good. Um, and both of those things will be present at the uh, North Alabama Labor Council barbecue on April 22nd at Braun Spring Park. Just another plug there uh, if folks <laughs> want to attend.
0: So. There's a beautiful park. I don't think people know uh enough people go there because it's got an no. awesome golf what do you call it, disc golf mm-hmm, thing mm-hmm. It's got a big old lake uh the i mean the the actually I've been over to the senior center over there. they have like a furniture workshop and stuff it's right by the mm-hmm. park there's some it's a pretty cool spot
1: it really is it really is. I've been there a couple times, and I just every time I go. And then I leave. I just kind of forget about it. But I was reminded when I went there, to because you have to go in person. Isn't that weird? You have to go in person <laughs> to book the thing. You can't do that over the phone or online. <laughs> so I went there in person, and I walked around and looked around, and I was like, oh, this is a pretty nice little spot here. Uh, it's very cool. So I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a lot of fun, and I hope a lot of folks come as well. Um Here's another quick story. Uh, The National Education Association, which is the nation's largest teachers union, is urging Congress to provide universal school meals for all children. Meanwhile, there's a new bill dropping next week in Congress that is meant to address child hunger by shoring up and expanding school meals. One organization, the Food Research and Action Center, is urging members of Congress to uh, to co-sponsor the Healthy Food for Kids Act being introduced on Monday, April 10th by Representative Morgan McGarvey, a Democrat from Kentucky. Uh, During the pandemic, Congress and the USDA took immediate action to allow schools to offer free meals to all students. And for more than two years, our country had the opportunity to pilot nationwide free school meals, and it was a resounding success. But the 2022-2023 school year has seen the return To normal school nutrition operations, community eligibility has been a key tool in the transition back to pre-pandemic school meal service, allowing schools in high poverty areas to continue serving free meals to all students. However, too many high-need schools are currently not eligible, even though they and their students stand to benefit from community eligibility. For schools that are eligible, the reimbursement structure can keep them from adopting community eligibility. According to the FRAC, the Healthy Food and Kids Act, uh, Healthy Food for Kids Act, would make key investments in community eligibility to expand the number of schools eligible to participate and increase the financial viability of operating. This bill would lower the threshold to participate in community eligibility from 40% of identified students to 25% and raise the multiplier for federal reimbursement from 1.6 to 2.5 and create a statewide community eligibility option to support states that are taking the important step of implementing healthy school meals for all statewide. The FRAC believes that the Healthy Food for Kids Act would be a game changer for schools across the country as they continue to transition back to normal school nutrition operations and help ensure millions more students access nutritious meals. So if you agree, uh, the Food Research and Action Center is asking that you ask your representative to co-sponsor the bill. The deadline to be an originals co-sponsor is Monday, April 10th at 12 p.m. Eastern. And, you know, this... Uh, the 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 pilot program that we effectively underwent over the last two years for Free Schools for All was actually very, very successful in a number of ways. You know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of pushback, amazingly, against free school lunches um, on the right. Weird. And um, one of the things that they say is that, oh, you're only subsidizing, you're only subsidizing rich students' uh, school lunch because poor students already have free school lunch. And um, there are a few things that are silly about that. Uh, but some, but I found Matt Brunig's uh, The Case for Free School Lunch on YouTube and uh, at the People's Policy Project very illuminating. And he shows uh, some research and some statistics that show that that in schools where not everybody gets a free school lunch, there are some students that don't get free school lunch even though they're eligible for it because of the stigma you know they don't want to be poor they don't want to be one of those kids who's getting a free school lunch while everybody else is paying for it because that's kind of ostracizing and while you know it's one thing for an adult's pride to stop them from accessing benefits that they're eligible for. It's another thing to ask that of kids, right? Because kids can be really cruel and and gross sometimes. And so there's absolutely no reason for the government to import the ability uh, where it need not be for ostracization and bullying and stuff like that. And so just giving everybody free meal access uh, would would eliminate, uh, that area for ostracization. And, um, you know, everybody having free school lunch has actually increased, uh, the nutritional outcomes for students, uh, for low income students across the country. And it's just really, really been a a huge success. And it has only cost like 2% of school operating budgets, you know, so it's a very, very small uh piece of the uh piece of the budget. And and yet, you know, there's this weird outcry against it from the right. And so, you know, here's hoping that that something comes goes through Congress to make it permanent because that would really that would really help a lot of working class students. So uh so looking forward to seeing how uh where that goes. And uh, the last thing I was going to talk to you about today is, uh, and this is going to be another quick hit as well, and then we're going to get out of here. We'll be wrapping up a little bit early, but an Alabama woman is suing Norfolk Southern after her husband was killed in a freak accident. Um, The Alabama woman is suing Norfolk Southern and U.S. Pipe Fabrication and others over the death of her husband in Bessemer last year. Walter James Griffin III, uh, and this is coming from AL.com, he was a 43-year-old Town man learning to become a train conductor when he was killed on December 13th. Uh, Griffin was with a conductor on a Norfolk Southern train when they passed another train in Bessemer, and authorities say a metal beam protruding from the passing stationary Freight car crashed through the window of the victim's cab and struck him. Griffin, Griffin was pronounced dead at the scene on twelve thirty at twelve thirty a.m. So, uh, you know, the uh, the victim's wife is alleging negligence in her lawsuit, and uh, she said that she just doesn't want this to happen to anybody else. Uh, it is a worthy, a worthy goal, absolutely, and here's hoping that she is victorious and uh, gets them for all they're worth. I mean, there's absolutely no amount of money that could bring her husband back, uh, but uh, hopefully, you know, you can make the people responsible pay. So. Wishing her all the luck, thoughts and prayers, all that stuff. And with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap up uh, for a quick overtime this afternoon or today. We appreciate everybody hanging out with us. Um, Make sure that you bookmark our website, tvlr.fm, so that you can stay up to date on everything that we're doing. You can sign up to our newsletter at tvlr.fm slash contact. You can donate to the program at tvlr.fm slash donate and buy our merch at tvlr.fm slash store. With that, we'll see you next week all power to the workers